0: The world really is going to need an unprecedented amount of cooperation and collaboration over the next several
1: years. If we want more peace in the world, how can I be a bridge builder? I'm Gil Galanos, and welcome to Storymark, a show about leaders, the moments that made them, and the mark they leave. This is the second installment of Storymark Spotlight, where we hear from young leaders about their professional journey after experiencing Israel with iTrack. On today's show, foreign policy expert and peace builder, Nirvan Balachandran. My story actually does not start in my
0: birth year. It actually starts in the year 1951. Here's why. Because 1951 is when my grandfather from Sri Lanka was posted as a diplomat in Indonesia. And when I was growing up he used to tell me of his time living in Indonesia and how friendly the people there were. And he helped organize the Asia-Africa Conference in Bandung in 1955. That was the world's first post-colonial, post-independence conference of all these newly independent countries, including Indonesia as well. So I was really, really interested in, in that particular country and always remembered it. What inspired you
1: to apply to the Harvard Kennedy School?
0: I think for two reasons. One of them was that the Kennedy School has really strong Southeast Asia programs and a presence in in terms of the expertise of the faculty and so forth. And the other reason why was because I had been working for the World Bank for a couple years before that in Indonesia, in Jakarta, which is the largest and the oldest country office for the World Bank. That was great, but I know that I needed to bump up my skills and my understanding of international affairs and international development, diplomacy, and Kennedy School has some pretty strong programs when it comes to international aid, diplomacy, and foreign policy. So that's why I decided to apply, and I was very fortunate to get in and uh, spend my time with some wonderful faculty and classmates there.
1: I know that part of your studies at HKS, you went on the Israel trek. Mm-hmm. What was the experience like? I had never been to
0: the Middle East before, and I definitely had never been to Israel before. And I was interested in two things. One of them was, how do societies, small states... Because there's only about 9 million people there in Israel, you know, how do they manage these highly diverse populations, right? And how do folks find cooperation and collaboration and ways of working together despite differences? That's one thing. The second thing I was interested in is, you know, Israel is a water and agritech and cybersecurity superpower, And I was really interested to see the innovation environment there, too, because, of course, that has implications for learning more about how to transfer those technologies, those knowledge sets to other countries as well. So those are the two reasons why I was interested. And I got to see both of those in spades,
1: luckily. Was there anything that you took out of that track that changed the course of your career? Absolutely. The eye track
0: was transformative because when I saw folks coming together despite their differences, I was pretty inspired to come back to Boston and say, how can I do something like this as well? So I said to myself, okay, I have a lot of experience with the world's largest Muslim-majority country, Indonesia, and now I've gone to the world's only Jewish-majority country, Israel, so can I bring together my Indonesian friends? and my Israeli friends in Boston for the first gatherings of these two groups, perhaps ever, because Israelis and Indonesians don't get much of a chance to get together because of diplomatic relations. It was the first interfaith dinner, actually. And it was really nice. Our Israeli friends brought uh, some very nice Israeli food, and our Indonesian friends brought over some very nice Indonesian food as well, and they shared... A little bit more about the food, the culture, they all got to know each other It was a great gathering. So this was a great chance to improve the interaction between uh, these groups who don't always get to know each other. And a lot of them stayed in touch with each other and are, are friends and uh, look forward to doing more of this. And since then, I've been all about improving the relations between Israel and Indonesia.
1: So this is mind-blowing because you're not Indonesian. I mean, you've lived in the country for a couple of years before school, and you've been to Israel for 10 days, Yeah, and you were inspired to do that. What inspired you to do that? Like, why? Well, it's a
0: great question. People ask me this all the time, and it comes down to this, I think, is the world really is going to need an unprecedented amount of cooperation and collaboration over the next several years. So I said, okay, how can I be a bridge builder? How can I be someone who connects these cultures and these populations despite their differences, despite the fact that they have not interacted with each other? And, you know, if we want more peace in the world, then I think Jews and Muslims need to talk, Israelis and Indonesians need to talk, but in general, folks who don't always interact with each other as much as they perhaps should, they need to talk and they need to have candid conversations and understand each other better. So that's been my goal ever since the eye trek that I went on, and I really was proud to be part of that.
1: What are your future professional goals? I think broadly
0: continue to bring people from different cultures, populations, worldviews, and traditions together. There are so many different opportunities around science, technology, medicine, education, so on and so forth, to bring folks together, have candid conversations, despite perhaps disagreements. So, for example, whether it's working together around advanced technologies to improve development outcomes in mortality or in health or in other sort of development outcomes, can Israelis and Indonesians work together better? Maybe include other groups as well. For example, to improve the educational system within either countries. Let's hope that we can continue to do that. I want to really be a part of that in in the future as well.
1: Who are the people that impacted who you are
0: today? I think my parents, my dad came to the United States with only $8 in his pocket and he became a doctor and helped create a lot of published research around diagnostic radiology and being able to see inside the body and detect, you know, problems in in the body or health conditions. And he, under some really difficult circumstances, managed to prevail And my mom's a biochemist as well. So both of them really helped set some pretty high standards for myself and my two sisters, as well as really inspire us to focus on things like accepting everyone as who they are and seeing the good in
1: even very challenging situations as well. Can you share a challenge that you had like a very tough moment that you had to deal with and how you dealt with that. After moving to Indonesia, it was
0: a major career pivot to working in international aid and humanitarian aid. So I came to Indonesia, I started knocking on doors, whether it's United Nations or the World Bank or the Asian Development Bank or whatever it might be. And a lot of them looked at me and they said, well, who's this corporate guy? You know, Why does he want to join our organization? You know, like, pretty much what we call the third sector, right, which is charities, NGOs, international organizations. And the World Bank took a chance on me because I was able to explain to them, hey, I have some transferable skills. And the first uh, project I worked on actually was clean water. So we got clean water to about 159 million Indonesians all across the country. Indonesia, of course, is the world's largest Muslim-majority country, but it's also highly diverse, three time zones, 17,500 islands, 1,200 religions, 707 languages, and 360 ethnic groups as well. So being able to navigate that diverse country and be able to win the trust of village chiefs and local communities and so on Even coming from a private sector background was very difficult at first, but I got the hang of it by listening closely to my Indonesian colleagues and just uh, being as culturally respectful as possible. So that's probably how I was able to finally
1: navigate that after a while. Can you share a cultural challenge that you faced? Was there anything that you did and was like, oh, this is a big no-no?
0: Yeah, so... Sometimes you have to sit on the floor when you're meeting folks in these villages, because the village meetings are held on the floor. If you point your feet toward other people, it's considered rude. Hmm. And I was doing that for a while in the beginning. (laughs) I didn't realize that that was something rude. And, you know, a lot of Indonesians are very nice and they won't say anything, even though they might be offended by it or they may feel something different about it. But my colleagues were very nice and gently pointed out to me, please don't, you know, uh, point your feet toward the people you're sitting across from.
1: What does being a leader mean to you?
0: The traditional model of being top-down and commanding is, is fine. But if you flip the pyramid where the leader is a servant leader toward the bottom and is holding up the people who report to you or who who follow you, you as a leader won't have followers if you are not leading the way that provides hope and provides a way for them to achieve their own dreams as well. How do you define success? I define success as fulfillment. And I think fulfillment is when your beliefs and your actions, first of all, are in harmony, but also in that your relationships are also well-integrated and healthy and people feel appreciated and taken care of. We all fall short, but I think in general, that is where fulfillment comes from and that is my personal definition of success as well.
1: Do you have any advice for people who are just starting their journey? Persistence trumps talent
0: almost every time because there's a lot of talented people out there and everyone's strong at something, but not everyone is willing to continue to persist and be disciplined to see a goal through until the very end so if you're starting off your career or even if you're in the middle of your career like myself persistence tends to trump talent every time
1: what are you optimistic about
0: i believe that people have a better understanding of themselves after the pandemic because they had so much time to think And when you have a better understanding of yourself, then I think we have a better opportunity to grow as people. We have a better opportunity to prioritize what's important to us as people as well and to demand that as well, whether it's from our employers or the people around us or other stakeholders as well. So I'm pretty optimistic that people are going to use that greater self-awareness and self-understanding to not only understand their past better, but create a better future.
1: And I want to be part of that too. Nirvan, it was incredible to have you on our show today. Thank you very much, Gil. Good to see you again. Toda. You've been listening to Storymark. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Also, consider signing up for the Storymark newsletter, where we'll keep you up to date about upcoming guests. Visit storymarkpodcast.org to sign up. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Storymark. StoryMark is brought to you by iTrek Studios. iTrek is a nonprofit that inspires tomorrow's leaders through peer led week long treks in Israel to experience its innovation, diversity, and complex reality firsthand. For more information, visit itrek.org. I'm your host, Gil Galanos. Our producer is Patrick Emil, and associate producer is Rebecca Sebastian. Our editor is Zev Levi. Thanks for listening, and Little See you next time.